Jesus for real. Now, this is a new series that we're launching, and I'm super duper excited about this series because this series is all about Jesus. The entire series is just Jesus, 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 all Jesus, this whole series, right? Um, and, and what we're trying to explore in this series is interesting because I don't know if you noticed this, but like everybody claims Jesus. Have you noticed that? Like everybody's like, you know, everybody believes that Jesus would, would take their side, whatever their side is. Whatever their position is, if you get in a discussion with somebody, pretty soon they're going to go, well, you know, Jesus would, right? And then, then fill in the blank, fill in their side of the, of the discussion. Um, we all do this, right? We want to bend Jesus to our image instead of us bending to his image. You ever notice that? We want, we want Jesus to, to, to conform to our desires, opinions, thoughts, needs, wants, instead of us conforming to his desires, thoughts, needs, wants. So what we're going to do um, over the course of the next several weeks is we're going to explore Jesus for real. Like what really is Jesus all about? And what really does that mean for us? So I'm going to read you a passage of scripture this morning. And you know what? We haven't done this for so long. Would you just mind to stand with me for the reading of the passage? I know you're all comfortable. I just want to get you a little uncomfortable. Um, so that you can get comfortable again, because then I'm going to preach and it's going to make you uncomfortable. All right, so we're going to... Um, so I want to get into Jesus for real here. We're going to start with Matthew 28. You can follow along on the screen uh, or in your Bible. It says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So even at the very beginning, some were a little uncertain about the true, uh, what's the real Jesus? Some are worshiping, some are going, I don't know. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, somebody say authority. authority. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty bold statement. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today, I want to focus on verse 18 in this passage. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Today, I want to speak for the next few moments. I want to preach for the next few moments on the subject. I need to speak to your supervisor. I need to speak to you. Take a seat and uh, let's, let's get started. I need to speak to your supervisor. Uh, sometimes my family and I will take what we call a little staycation. Um, we will just get together, my, my wife Rebecca and the kids and I, and we'll head off to uh, a hotel for a night. Now, what we have found is, um, this is a little, little uh, pro tip. Uh, what we have found, and uh, we're not being sponsored by the Drury Inn. I just want to clarify that right, right out of the gate. Um, but we, we go to the Drury Inn. We go to the Drury Inn and Suites. It's called Drury Inn and Suites. And the reason we do that is because, um, you know, we have four children and the Drury Inn has this special deal where it's like for around a hundred bucks, if you, if you play it right, um, you, you get to the Drury Inn and they have dinner free for you and your whole family. So I just made my hundred bucks back right there. Like, boom, I'm, I'm, I'm even before I even hit the room. Okay. So free dinner, right? Then you get the room. Now the room is very unique because you don't want to, you don't want to pay for two rooms, but since it's a suite, there's a door between the bedroom and the other room. And the other room has a pullout couch. And it sounds like this is a commercial for Drury Inn. I didn't realize it was going to come across. So, 
but, I, but I'm going to go both ways on jury in. So watch this. Okay, so, so, so you can put the kids in the other room. You can shut the door. You can lock the door. So now you got two rooms for the price of one, right? This is good. All right. Then you've got the, the weight room. You've got the, you, you've got the sauna. You've got the pool. You've got all of the, all of the accommodations. Then you get up in the morning and there's free breakfast for you and all the children. I mean, that's another $100 right there. I mean, you got biscuits and gravy, bacon and eggs, waffles, pancakes, oatmeal. You know, I mean, just name it, right? Orange juice, fresh coffee, it's all there. So it's a great deal if you just need a night away with the family and you don't want to spend a ton of money. And, you know, so it's a good deal. So a few weeks ago, we, we decided we're going to do this. We're going to go to the Drury Inn. So we drive down to the Drury Inn. The whole family's in the van. Everybody's there. P- people are in their PJs. You know, they got their goggles. They're ready to go swimming or sleeping. Or I don't, they don't even know what they're going to do. They're just excited, right? Because they just love this. So I go in to get, the, to get the, the room. I walk in to get the room. I go to the front desk. And I've done this many times. I go, I need a room for, I need a suite for us tonight, for my family. And the, and the receptionist behind the desk says, I'm sorry, I can't give you a room. I mean, I can give you a room, but I can only give you a room if you book two nights, not one night. So I go, I'm sorry, wait, doesn't compute. Say it again. Like, I just need one room for one night. She says, I know, but right now we're only offering people rooms if they book two nights, not just one night. And so I go, so let me understand. Just let me like, just to make sure I'm getting this. Cause I got kids in the car that are like banging on the windows going, let us in biscuits and gravy. Um, so I said, so you're saying like, I'm here. So I said, family, only if we book a room for tomorrow night. Also, she said, yeah. So I said, if I leave, then this room will be empty tonight and probably empty tomorrow night, but I'm here now and I can't have the room tonight. You understand my pain here, right? Sometimes, you know, people have these policies and whatever. She said, yeah, that's correct. We will not give you a room tonight unless you book it for two nights. So you know what I said, right? I need, to, I need to speak to your supervisor. That's what I say. I need to speak to your supervisor. And the supervisor came over, and just so you know, you know, there, there's no surprise ending. It worked out. Everything worked out fine. And I was nice the whole time. But see, if things aren't right, or things seem a little off, or things are a little strange in some interaction that you're having, sometimes you need to speak to somebody in charge. You know, somebody, sometimes you need to speak to somebody in authority. Because the person in authority gets to make the final decision. The person in authority can make things happen that maybe wouldn't happen if you weren't talking to the person in authority, right? The person in authority has the final say. They have the ultimate power. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Who's got authority in your life? Who is the supervisor of your heart? Who is in authority in the decisions that you are making, right? Who is in authority? Now you may just say, well, that's, that's obvious. Like I'm in charge of my life. I'm the boss. I make the decisions. I make the final call. But what I'm asking is a deeper question. I'm asking like, who's the authority that gives you the authority to make the decision or to make the move or to make the statement or to think the thought or to believe the belief that you believe? What's the underlying authority? Who or what controls that? And the reality is we all have different factors. We all have different uh, uh, influences on our life. I got a little graph for you of a bunch of different. So there are all different kinds of, of, of inputs that are, that, are, that are influencing the way you think, that are influencing the decision you make, right? You've got your thoughts, your, your, ra- your rational thoughts, your logic and reason, and that's, that's 
that's part of it, right? Then you got your feelings, right? And, and your past feelings and your present feelings. How do I feel about this? Should I do this or not? Well, how do I feel about it, right? So that's, that's, that's in there. Your family. What would my family say if I did this? You know, and sometimes you go, they would hate it, so I'm going to do it, okay, right? So, so sometimes it works in, in different ways. What about my friends, right? What about, what about the people who, like, kind of know my business? What would they, what would they say? Um, what are the financial ramifications, right? I'm going to make a decision, but what are the financial ramifications? The media, right? The so, like social media and the news media and all the different streams of influence that, that, that congregate in our mind. Uh, what is the political wind? Where are the political winds? Whatever party you're in, you know, what, what, would, what, would, the, what would my party think about that? Or what are the people in my political party, which, whichever one it is, which, which way would they push me? Um, and then generally, what, what about the culture at large? Big fancy word called zeitgeist. That just means like, what's going on in the culture? What's the feel in the culture, right? So we've got all of these, all of these influences on our life. And yet we've got Jesus saying, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Jesus is saying, I want to be your authority. I want to be the supervisor in your life. Jesus is saying, when he says authority, what he means is power, right? Command, ownership. Like he's saying, I'm, I'm in complete authority. I have jurisdiction over everything. And if we are followers of Jesus, come on somebody, if we're followers of Jesus, that means he has jurisdiction over our life. The scripture in Philippians says this, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And then just to be clear, right, it gives some specifics. All of the knees of those who are in heaven and all of the knees of those who are on earth and all of the needs of those who are under the earth. In other words, everybody is going to bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's what I want to get into for a minute. If we want to understand Jesus for real, if we want to really understand who he is, right, we have to understand what he claims about himself. And what he claims is complete authority. Jesus says, I am completely in charge. 100% totally in charge. I, I, many of you know, I love the author C.S. Lewis. Um, the, in fact, the book that we handed out to everybody um, today is, is a book called Mere, uh, Mere Christianity to the Graduates. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Very influential. It was a very influential book on, on my life. In fact, I was reading it when I became a Christian because it really unraveled some of the things and, and thoughts that I, that I was thinking. And, and, it, and it sort of made things clear for me. Um, and in this book, C.S. Lewis says something that I just love. Now, listen, listen to this quote. It's kind of a long quote, but track with me. He says... I am trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that a lot of people say about Jesus. They say, quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Now, this is a lot, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of research on this. I just was reading some Barna research statistically. I mean, that's a lot, that represents a lot of people. Even in the United States, a lot of people go, great moral teacher, you know, had a lot of wisdom, but not, not God. Like I don't see him. I don't, I don't see him a, as God. And Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a, a, a man 
and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level uh, of a man who believes he is a poached egg. I love Lewis. He just says, like, if somebody is out there saying, I'm God, right? I am, I have all authority in heaven and earth, right? If they're saying that, either they're crazy, uh, like on, on par with somebody who thinks they're Napoleon, right? Or else he would be the devil of hell. So if somebody's out there saying, I'm God, they're either crazy or they are really, really evil, right? They're, they're conings. They're trying to con people. You must make your choice, Lewis says. Either this man was and is the son of God or he's a madman or something worse. He says, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. You see, Jesus is claiming all authority. And if, and, and if you're not convinced, I'm just going to run through a couple verses, all right? You guys ready to riff through some scriptures? John 6, 35. I am, this is Jesus, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 15, 8, before Abraham was born, I am. I mean, I think he, I think he kind of means that he's like completely in authority. And in fact, what's interesting is these statements that he's making, right? They have a special resonance if you're a first century Jew. Because every Jewish boy and girl who, who hears him speaking these words knows the story of Moses at the burning bush. You guys remember that story? Moses at the burning bush. And Moses is getting ready to go down to, to Egypt to, to set God's people free from bondage and slavery. And Moses is saying to, to the Lord in the burning bush, he says, but who should I say sent me? Who should I tell him sent me? You remember what, what the voice says out of the burning bush? The Lord says, tell them that I am sent you. I am that I am. When Jesus keeps repeating this phrase, I am this, I am that, I am this. I, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am the I am. I am in charge. I am the one. I have complete authority. Have I proven that point? Are you guys tracking with that? You don't have to believe it, but just know that that's what he's saying, right? You get to choose whether you believe it, but he's saying, I am in complete authority, right? Man, everybody's real quiet all of a sudden. I'm preaching Jesus and it's just kind of hitting some buttons. Okay. Um, not only does he have this claim for himself, but then he has a, a command for us. Jesus commands total commitment. If we want to look, if we want to look at the real Jesus, we want to talk about the real Jesus, Jesus for real. He says, look, I'm in complete authority and I command total commitment. If you want to be a follower of mine, it's, it's an all, it's an, it's an all or nothing game. It's all in 
right? We do, we do uh, you know, we're starting to do some more weddings now that, you know, that we can kind of reconnect and everything. And one, my favorite part about weddings uh, is the, the vows. That's the, that's the, in fact, that's the most important part. That's the legally binding part of the wedding. Um, I'll read you the, let me read you the vows just in case if you're thinking about it. Let me just, just, just listen up real quick because this is what you're going to say, okay? Um, groom, do you take bride to be your lawful wedded wife? Do you promise to love and cherish her in sickness and in health? For richer, for poor, for better, for worse, forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto her for so long as you shall live. Do you promise in the presence of God and these witnesses that you will at all times, some pretty emphatic language, and in all circumstances, conduct yourself toward her as becomes a Christian husband? Do you promise to love, cherish, and honor her for as long as you live? If so, say, I do. Now, what if the groom said, (laughs) I'm about 50% on that. I'm about 50 to 60%, right? That would kind of put a damper on the wedding because... Because when you make a commitment, you're making a commitment. And when Jesus says, I, I want, I, you're the bride, I'm the bridegroom. He's saying, I want complete and total commitment. In fact, listen to this. This is hard language, right? But you, we need this. This is strong language. Luke 14. He, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and hate mother and hate wife and hate children, hate brothers and sisters, yes, even, even their own life, Such a person cannot be my disciple. What? And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now we go, wait a minute, Jesus calls us to love. Why is he saying we got to hate? What he's saying is the love that you have for me has to be so overwhelmingly great that by comparison, the love that you have for somebody else feels like hate. Uh, he's not telling you literally. He's using, he's using hyperbolic language. He's saying, I, of course, I want you to love everybody, but I want you to love me more. I want to be completely the complete authority in your life. I want to be the supervisor in your life. I want to be the one that no matter what family member, friend, whoever says whatever they want to say, you go, I'm following him. I'm following because he has my heart wholly and completely. Jesus commands total commitment. But he doesn't just demand from us. He also promises to us. And here's what he promises. Jesus promises abundant life. He says, look, if you pour all of yourself into me, then what I give you in return is beyond your capacity to imagine. It's actually beyond your ability to even comprehend what I want to give to you. Because you want, you want things that you think are good, Right? I want to give you things that you can't even imagine. That's what I want to give you. Um, we had a neighbor that um, years ago who her house was burglarized. And um, she, when, when she told us about it, she seemed relatively calm about it. And um, she's since moved down to Florida. But, but I, I remember talking to her and I said, so yeah, are, are everything okay? And she goes, yeah, it's kind of interesting. She said, you know, I actually had like gold and, and, and jewelry, um, like nice pieces, gold and diamond stuff and family heirlooms or whatever. But um, the, the, the incompetency of the burglar um, made it such that the burglar was attracted to this really kind of costume jewelry, gaudy glass and plastic. So they literally took the, che- the trinkets and left the good stuff behind. They did the opposite in, in, in my house when we, when we got robbed several years ago. They left the trinkets. But anyway, that doesn't, that's not part of my story here. Um, 
In other words, they, they took the stuff that did not have value and they left the stuff that did have value. That's kind of what we do with Jesus. That's kind of what we do with God, right? We say, God, listen, I'm just praying for, here's what I want, God. I want a new job. I want a new car. I, I, I want a new a, a girlfriend. I want a new boyfriend. I want a new husband. I want a new wife, right? I want a new hairdo. I want a new, I want a new body. I want a new face. I want, I just, I need new shoes. Like we're, we're praying for things that we think will bring us happiness. And Jesus is going, man, you're praying for the wrong thing, right? You are praying for the wrong thing. I want to give you real, in fact, he said this, the thief right? Jesus says in in John 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus wants to give you stuff that you cannot possibly even imagine that you can receive. The grace of God is so overwhelmingly powerful. He wants to bring you real joy. I mean, lasting things. I'm not talking about perishable things that die. He wants to bring you lasting things. He wants to bring you real joy, real peace, real power, real comfort, real love in your relationship. He wants to bring you the real thing. So stop grasping for trinkets because he wants to bring you something real, right? So here, here, here we go. Here's how we are going to take this information and do some application, okay? Here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. I'm not going to preach long unless I already have, in which case, okay, I'm going to keep it short. Um, here's how we know, because I think at this point, we, we're getting a picture of who Jesus is, right? He's somebody who demands total commitment. He, 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 he claims total authority. He promises abundant, abundant life. And so one of the questions that I would be asking myself, and which I did when I was preparing for this, is does Jesus have control of my life? Like, how will I know if actually Jesus really is in charge? right? How, what are the markers? What are the indicators? What is the evidence that Jesus is in fact my supervisor, my all in authority? What are the markers? I'm going to give you four. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Ready? Here they go. Number one, your mouth reveals your master. Amen. 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 Um, have you ever pocket dialed somebody on accident? I mean, it, yeah, yeah, if you pocket dial, if, whenever I pocket dial somebody and then I find out later I pocket dialed them, what I want to ask is, what did I say? <laughs> did you hear anything? What was I saying? Because I know that whatever I was saying, right, was not intended to be heard. But I also know that whatever I was saying, because it was not intended to be heard, is coming out of my heart, okay? It's like a hot mic moment. You know, like a, in fact, they actually had, I just heard, they had a hot mic moment this morning. If you're watching online and you tuned in at 9.15, they were having a hot mic moment. The, mic, the microphone was on. I don't know. Hopefully y'all were saying good stuff. Amen. Um, but but it was, it was, there was a feed going through, right? Or if you hear of a politician who like has accidentally doesn't know their microphone is on. The great thing about that is suddenly you get to know what's in their heart. Right? Because they're going to come up and say whatever they want. Hey, how you doing? Right? And then the microphone's on. And then they go, man, that guy's a jerk. I hate that guy, man. Oh, hey. Testing, right? Um, because, because what's in your heart is what comes out. Jesus said uh, like this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So if you want to know if Jesus is the authority of your life, if Jesus for real has power over your life, just listen to your words. Your whole life is a hot mic moment for God. And it's not just your words, it's your thoughts too. It's all there. Whatever's coming out of your mouth is an indication of what's in your heart. So this is, this is diagnostic for you. Because, because I want to know, and I can, you know, listen, I can hear my own mouth. I can hear my own words. And I know that sometimes Jesus is, is the authority over my heart. And sometimes he's not. Because sometimes I, th- I say things that I would not say in his presence, even though I am saying them in his presence, right? But I wouldn't purposely say them in his presence. And I go, well, okay, that tells me, that's an indicator to me that Jesus is not, I, he doesn't have all of me yet, Right? That's, 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 that's number one. In fact, Jesus' brother put it like this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. What he's saying is, look, your, your mouth is going to reveal all we need to know, right? Because that will tell us whether Jesus is Lord of your life. Um, uh, David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my Lord, my God, my Redeemer right? So that's number one. Your mouth reveals your master. Number two, your cash reveals your king. Woo. Hey, hey now. Hey, preach. Come on. When, uh, when I was like 19 or 20, my friends and I went to New York city. Um, and we're walking through the streets of New York city and there, have you guys ever heard of the game three card Monty? Anybody know that game? That's the game where they got three cards, two black cards and a red card. And they're on, they got a little table and they're going, and then you're, you're supposed to figure out which one is the red card and which, you know, like if you can follow the red card, then you win the game, right? And they show you two black cards and a red card. So I was like 19 and I'm with my friends and I'm in New York City and we're walking down the street, you know, and I see these guys playing this game and I'm like watching. I go, oh man, I got this. I totally got this. I, I can see you. Whether, and the guy goes, you, you think you got it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, come on up. Step up, step right up. Everyone's a winner, right? So I go up there and uh, he's moving the cards around. He goes, okay, do you know where the red card is? I go, yeah. He goes, which, which one is it? I go, that one right there. Cause I saw, I could see that's, that's where it was. He goes, you want to put money on it? And I was like, I thought I was really smart because I was, I was like, I thought I was like, I had all my money in my sock. I was like, well, you got to watch the people in New York, man. They're crooks. And then this guy, 10 minutes on the street in Times Square. And now I'm like, yeah, what are you, how much you want to put on you? I put all my money on this card. All of it. The whole wad of cash that I had collected over the summer. Washing dishes and waiting tables. Uh, and, it, you know, he flips over the card. And it, I, don't, I don't know if you, you know, I don't want to give away the end, but it wasn't red. Let me just put it that way. Uh, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I like turn around to like, I need a police officer or something. And I turn back around and everybody's gone. Cards gone, tables gone, money's gone, people are gone. And I'm out of money, right? But what was controlling my heart in that moment was two things. Pride, I got this. And greed, I want more of this, right? That, that's because that's what was in my heart. That's what was coming at. Like I wanted to, I used my cash to get more cash because I thought that I could get more cash. I, my heart was full of pride and greed. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Let, let me read you this whole verse, Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So what that means, what that means is 
don't fritter it away. We don't really deal with moths and vermin so much anymore, you know. But what he's saying is it, it's wasted. It goes away. If you just want to accumulate for yourself here on earth, uh, it gets squandered. It gets misspent. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he said, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So this, again, is a, is a diagnostic tool for us. Where are we putting things that matter to us, that mean something to us, right? If I am, putting my, if I am not putting my finances into something, that means either I don't know about it or I don't care about it enough to, to invest in it. But I am going to invest in, I'm going to put my money into things that matter to me, right? And conversely, what's fascinating about this is that Jesus said you can actually direct your heart. Now, this is not a giving sermon. I'm not taking a, you know, I am taking an offering at the end, but not like a special offering. You understand? I'm not passing a plate twice. I'm just saying this, this is not, if, if, if we think that God, number one, needs anything that we've got, we're messed up. We're messed up. He doesn't need anything you've got. Giving is for you. It's not for him. It's to help orient your heart towards him. He already has it. He owned it before you were born and he'll own it after you're born. You're managing it right now, right? I'm managing the, the stuff that, that God's put in my life, but I don't own it, right? So, so he's saying, look, take some of that. Remind yourself who's in charge by putting some of that where it needs to go. Pursuing the things of Jesus, expanding his vision, expanding his mission. That's how you can know. Like you can look at your bank account and know what you value. I did that this week just for us for this series, right? It turns out we, we value Sam's Club. We just value Sam's Club. I'm not saying we worship Sam. I'm saying we do admire Sam, though. We, we appreciate Sam. We love you, we love you Sam, you know? Um, and I know that because that's where, that's where a lot of our money goes, you know? So wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Number three, the source of your approval is the object of your worship. I want that to sink in for a minute. The source of your approval is the object of your worship. Source of your approval. You know why Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything works so well? Because it gets, they, those, those social media get that we long. Those, those social media get, and we can find out exactly how much approval we get right now. If I post a picture right now, if I post a picture right now, I can begin to see how much, how much approval am I going to get? Because people either like it or don't like it. Or they make a positive comment or a negative comment. And then I get to gauge how much approval I'm getting from the people who are looking at my post. I mean, it's brilliant. It's, it's a genius uh, uh, idea, right? Because it, it immediately ties into our heart. We long for approval. The question is, who, whose approval do you long for? Because that will tell you who you worship. Whose approval do you desperately want? Because that will tell you where your heart is. That will tell you who's the authority in your heart, in your life. If you desperately long for the approval of Jesus, then Jesus is the, is the object of your worship. If you desperately long for the approval of the masses on Facebook, then the masses on Facebook are the object of your worship. It's, it's, it's really, really straightforward. Jesus is for real, man. I mean, he's not complicated. He's, he's clear. It's simple. In fact, um, let me read you this. Wait, before I do that. Um, the, the, the apostle Peter and several of the other apostles in Acts chapter five, okay, in Acts chapter five, they had been out into the temple and they're proclaiming the name of Jesus and they're preaching Jesus to all of the, um, to, to, to all of the people in the temple. 
And um, the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling group of elders at that time, um, said, hey, you can't do that. You can't preach Jesus here, right? They disapproved of the teaching about Jesus. In fact, they threw Peter and, J- and the apostles in jail, right? Well, when the, Peter and the, and the apostles got out of jail, they went back to the temple and they started proclaiming Jesus again. And the Sanhedrin said, hey, wait a minute. We just, threw, we just disapproved of you. We just demonstrated our disapproval. They called them back into the Sanhedrin. And they got really mad. And they're like, you know, we need to kill these guys. Like they were angry at them because they were disapproving of what they were teaching and preaching, right? And then one of the rabbis, a guy named Gamaliel, very famous rabbi in the first century, says, look, don't kill them. Let's just beat them. Like, let's just beat them and not kill them. Let's just flog them, right? Because, because the truth is this. He says, if, if, if their message is not of God, it's just going to fade out. If it is of God, we don't want to get in the way of it, right? So they bring Peter and the apostles, and they scourge them. They, they flog them, right? That's what they do. In fact, they, they said, guys, you cannot keep preaching this message. And Peter and, and the apostles said, well, look, man, we obey God, not man. If you read Acts chapter five, we obey God, not man. So I understand what you're saying, but we obey God, not man. And then <laughs> the way the story ends, uh, it says Acts 5.40, they called the apostles in, they had them flogged, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Okay, so now look, you've learned your lesson, we disapprove. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, which is a strange reaction if they were desiring the approval of the Sanhedrin. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. In other words, they said, man, we have just won the approval of Jesus here. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because the object of their worship desired them to proclaim the message and they didn't care whether or not that re- they received approval from other people. They said, we want, to, we want his approval, right? So the source of your approval is the object of your worship. Whose approval do you seek? Last one, ready? Number four, your love reveals your Lord. Let's get Jesus for real. Like this, we're, we're going deep. We're going deep in this. Your love reveals, this is the biggest marker, the greatest marker. In fact, Jesus says this, John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he says this, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this. By this. Here's the marker. Here's the indicator. Here's the evidence. By your love for each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Man, this is, this is, this says more than anything else. The way you love other people will tell you and the world whether or not you are a follower of Jesus, whether or not Jesus is for real the Lord of your life. It's the one undeniable marker. It's the one key indicator. It's the one irrefutable piece of evidence. It's not your religious piety. It's not your otherworldly spirituality. It's not your biblical knowledge. It's not your charitable service. It's not, your, it's not even your generous giving or your sacrificial loyalty. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can do all that, but if you don't have love, it's just noise. It's background noise. It's your love for one another. What does that look like? What does that look like? I'm gonna close with this. Am I willing to share in your suffering? 
because that's love. Am I willing to forgive you when you've wronged me? Because that's love. Am I willing to seek your forgiveness when I've wronged you? Because that's love. Am I willing to take the time to understand your heart? Am I willing to speak truthfully to you despite the consequences? That's love. Am I willing to listen to you when you speak truthfully to me? Am I willing to put your needs before mine? Am I willing to weep when you weep? Am I willing to dance when you dance? Am I willing to rejoice when you rejoice? Am I willing to mourn when you mourn? Because that's love. Am I willing to share my time, my money, my voice, my experience, my gifts, my influence to your benefit? That's love. Am I willing to stand up for you when doing so is unprofitable and unpopular? That's love. Am I willing to speak hard truths? Am I willing to go with you and grow with you and learn from you? Am I willing to see who you really are? A beloved child of Almighty God. Am I willing, am I willing to see that in you? No matter what you're displaying to me, am I willing to look past everything that I see on the outside and go, there's something on the inside. This person is made in the image of God. And even if this person is attacking me, even if this person is angry at me, even if this person despises me, even if this person hates me, I love you. That tells the world whether or not we are followers of Jesus. And when a church, you know I'm gonna end with this, when a church does that, when we collectively say, we're gonna love each other, we're gonna embrace each other, we're going to look past our unique differences, even our disagreements, and we're gonna love each other with the love of God and the way Jesus loved us. We're gonna forgive each other the way Jesus forgave us. We're gonna be humble with each other. We're gonna honor each other. We're gonna hold each other up. We're gonna lift each other up. We're gonna mourn when each other mourns. We're gonna weep when each other weeps. We're gonna celebrate when each other celebrates. Then the world goes, my God, my God, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus is for real. Amen, amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we, we come before you right now. We know, God, that you love us. And we know you call us to a love that we can't, we can't hardly even imagine. And we are wildly imperfect at doing what you've called us to do and being what you've called us to be. But today, God, today we recommit just a little bit more. We, we give up a little more territory in our heart to you. We invite you to be our Lord, our Savior, the supervisor of our soul. We invite you, God, to take ownership of our heart. You are our Lord. You are our master. You are our Savior. We bow our heart before you. We bow our life. We bow our mouth, our words, our finances, our, our, our actions, our thoughts, our behavior. We bow it all before you our desire for approval. We submit it to you, God. And we say, be the Lord of our life. Take over. Let us be your people because we want to worship you for real, Jesus. We want to worship you for real. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.